welcome to State of the Nonprofits. I'm your host, Autumn Vest, Executive Director of MSS. Nonprofits are the heart of any community, and here in the Permian Basin, it's no different. This podcast is designed for people who want to make our community better. The ones who work in nonprofits, serve in nonprofits, or the ones who are just beginning to seek out a way to make life better for others. This is where we'll talk about the challenges and hurdles facing our nonprofits and the people we serve. We hope to discover and share some incredible stories of impact and success. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Becky Spurlock, who has served as the Vice President of Student Affairs and Leadership since 2019 for UTPB. Dr. Spurlock has a PhD in Higher Education Administration from Texas A&M University, as well as two degrees from Texas State University, a Bachelor's of Science in Recreational Administration, and a Master's of Education in Counseling and Guidance. In 2017, Dr. Spurlock completed the Management and Leadership Education Program Certificate from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I first heard Becky speak at the Midland Chamber of Commerce West Texas Women Professional Women's Symposium in 2021, and I was immediately taken by her energy and her topic of belongingness and community. I've had the joy of hearing her speak now a couple of times, and I'm super excited to bring her to the state of the nonprofit. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Becky. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here, Autumn. Well, I'm really excited about your topic because I think connectedness and belonging and building community is such an important part of the work that nonprofits do. And so I'm just really excited to explore that with you. But before we really dig in, can you tell us a little bit about you and how you came to UTPB? Absolutely. Well, I got to college in the fall of 1990. I'm the first in my family to go to school. I arrived at then Southwest Texas State and the community there, and particularly the folks that worked at the university, saw that I needed extra help. And the idea of never leaving college was very, very interesting to 19-year-old Becky. <laughs> and um, And so I have never left college. I just stayed, got additional degrees and began working. Um, worked at seven colleges and universities across Southeast portion of the United States and was interested in exploring a vice presidency and and was invited to apply for the job at UTPB. And I'm from Texas and had been living in Tennessee. I was ready to get home, um, but didn't really see this coming for me and, and, and wasn't too sure. Got here for the interview and um, when I met President Woodley and I was just taken with her energy and vision and everybody I met was dedicated and, and focused on students. And about halfway through the interview, I had the deepest, clearest sense that this is where I was supposed to be. And here I've been for three years. See, that's wonderful because I have a little bit of jealousy because I loved college and I would go back in a heartbeat if I had the time and resources to do that. It's exciting to see the potential that UTPB has for not just Odessa, where it's physically most located, but just the entire region here, Midland and Odessa. It's really fantastic. So I want to talk a little bit about what I've heard you speak about, which is the connectedness and the belonging. How did you find this topic? How did this speak to you? Why is it so important? You know, we started seeing, I started seeing and other people in higher ed, probably about 20, 15 years ago, I suppose, we started seeing some shifts. Historically, 
um, communities formed pretty naturally on college campuses. And we started to see some shifts happening where isolation was more common or people weren't connecting. And of course, no surprise, this was not a phenomenon that you could boil down to one thing, mm-hmm. right? It's multiple things, but certainly it was it was coincided with the rise of the technology that we all carry around in our hands and a number of other things. At the same time, we began to see um, decline in, in mental health of mm. our students. Yeah. Um, and so on college campuses, we we began talking about what we were seeing, what were the issues, and and some of the early research about belonging and connection started out of college and universities who were really looking at this within our populations. And of course, Brene Brown came on the scene and and shared her research, which you know became the most watched TED Talk, and and really. I think the whole world began to wake up to understand um, the importance of belonging and connection. But like a lot of things, I think it, we all began to notice when we saw less of it. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's interesting because as you say that, we here at MSS, one of our tenant agencies is Agape Counseling Services. And their executive director shared with our group at one time that they've actually had a significant increase in calls from people who have a lot of anxiety around isolationism. They're, they've been so encouraged to isolate during this entire COVID pandemic, and now they're being encouraged to step away from that and get reengaged and they're challenged, they're anxious about being around people and engaging. And so they're experiencing a very high rate of calls from people who need that kind of support. Yeah. You know, our deepest need as humans is to connect Mm -hmm. and it's not something you can opt out of. You know, you might say that, you, you know, I don't need that, but, or it's not important to me, but it's a, it's a deep need for human connection. We all have it. We all want to belong. We all want to connect. And, you know, at the core, that's what motivates us as humans to, to engage in any number of behaviors. And so, you know, the isolation that came along with COVID and we we were already declining in our connection mm-hmm. a, across the way. There was a, a book quite some time ago, you know, Bowling Alone mm-hmm. that, you know, talked about the decline of bowling leagues, you know, these ways in which people got together naturally, socially. Um, and, and we see the effects of that. Well, you know, you always see on social media, people, they're saying, you know, they want to make plans. And then when the plans, ha- when it's time to go and do the thing they planned, they're like, oh, I just want to stay on my couch. I just want to watch my Netflix and, That's right. you know, post on social media. That's of- right. Because our social contract, we have a, we have a social contract between us. and. That social contract used to um, really drive our behavior in ways that would indicate, well, you would never cancel on somebody like that last minute. And that social contract changed somewhat with with what's happened in it now. Um, It's changed how we feel about when we're willing to cancel on somebody and how quickly we can do that. And it's easier to do that when you can send a text message or send a DM rather than having to make a phone call or run in to see somebody face to face to say, my plans have changed. And, you know, the nature of all that has really made it easier for us to disconnect. And unfortunately, it's a short term feel good, long term problem. Right. Yeah. Sounds good for a minute. And then after you've watched your, you know, your second or your third episode, you know, you, you, and and you're scrolling, you know, Facebook, you're likely to have some negative thoughts about comparing your life or what, what that looks like or 
what you wish you were doing instead. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Social regret, I suppose, would be a good way to say that. You know, it's it's so important for us to connect. And I think the reason I really wanted to have the conversation here and say to the nonprofits is because at nonprofits, we need connection. We need connection with our community. We need connection with our volunteers. We need to help them feel connected to us. Also our staff members and the services that we provide can sometimes create connections for community members. And so I feel like we can, as a sector, be a catalyst to help people find belongingness. And so that's why I thought this conversation could be so important for our listeners. Yeah. And I do think, you know, it's an interesting challenge for leaders. You know, one of the things I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently is um, as leaders of organizations, it's easy to want to lead the way you want to be led Mm -hmm. or to lead the way uh, in a different direction from how you've seen that you didn't like. Um, But I want to make the analogy to parenting. I think most of us have learned and their parents have had to learn that you have to parent the child you have, (laughs) not the way you wish you were parented Mm -hmm. um, or the picture of parenting that you have in your mind. And I don't know about you, but I wish I'd figure that sooner. Yeah, I I giggled because I have the six-year-old who wants to be a maker. And my husband's like, what does that even mean? (laughs) You know, and we've got 13-year-old girls that are, you know, 13-year-old girls. And so I do, I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, we, we all say we don't want to make the mistakes of our parents. Well, we do in our own very ways, do those things with, with, making them or reaching them where they are. I know as an executive director, as a leader of a staff, I do the very thing you say, you know, I think about how I didn't like that experience I had with that former leader that was in my life. And I don't want to be like that. Well, not everyone that I worked with in that environment felt the same way I felt about that leader. And so now here, even I know different members of my team need different types of leadership and different types of connection. Yeah. And I think that's really key because I think leaders need to be able to acknowledge um, what might be driving their decision-making. And and I think this is critically important when it comes to the need to facilitate belonging and connection, because we often want to do that in ways we might want to connect Mm -hmm. or we might want to belong. Or I I often think about it sometimes in terms of um, almost like computer systems. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's a new software out, it's version 1.1.0. Mm-hmm. And when we make little changes, it's 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. We're making those little changes, but sometimes what we need is 2.0. And very often I see leaders getting stuck mm-hmm. in making 0.1 kind of iterative changes mm-hmm. rather than creating a new frame, a new version, mm-hmm. a 2.0. And as leaders, I think that's what we're called to do. And is to really think about how do we set the stage for other people to be successful? You know, how do we create the conditions for people to thrive and connect? And and I think that that is very hard work um, and often a real challenge for leaders. And I think in the nonprofit space, it's incredibly important because so often I would imagine that the leaders are serving populations that they may not be part of. Very true. And so and when I've had this conversation, I've actually listened um, to some of a book that you had talked about in one of your speeches or one of your your presentations that I heard, um, Community by Peter Block. Yeah, one of my all-time favorites. You said that, 
And so obviously I've been listening and I I've listened to only about half of it. So don't spoil it for me. But I think it's really interesting. Some of the things that he talked about, and I think it resonates in this conversation as we bring to the table our own experiences and we're looking through the lens of our own experience. And sometimes we have to remember that everybody sees things and has been through different things. And so trying to solve or build community with your own voice in your head and your own experiences is not necessarily the the healthy way to help the group. And so you have to be able to take that, take into account their experiences as they're coming to the table. You know, I recently, this summer, I, I led an institute for mid-managers in higher education across the Southeast. When I taught that institute, one of the things that I was very clear about from the beginning was that my job was to facilitate a shared learning space. You know, it's easy to step into that space and think, I have the knowledge, Mm -hmm. you're here to learn. I'm going to, that's going to be a a directional experience. I'm going to to pass that knowledge or information to you. Or I might even go to 1.1 there and say, I'm going to facilitate the learning. Um, But instead, the way I approached it was in creating a shared learning space and that there was wisdom coming from the faculty that, that we had chosen and developed for this, but in the room. And how can we create a learning space that is is equally or more so um, devised and, and divined by the people in the space as it is by the people that have been asked to lead. And that's a very different view mm-hmm. of a way to create an experience. In my opinion, far harder, far more energy. It would have been much easier for me to walk in and say, let me tell you the six things I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the Institute, um, when I looked around as we were closing the Institute and and the the connections that had been formed between the people there, um, I knew that we had achieved our goal. Well, and I think that comes back to listening. And so that's one of the things that we as nonprofits and and those who serve in nonprofits have to be able to listen to those that they're serving. Um, you know, I had a conversation just a little bit ago about you get together a group of people for networking and you have these individuals who we consider mentors and, you know, they've been doing the work for a very long time, but sometimes that new voice brings with them some new energy and ideas that we've never thought of just because they're coming from an experience of having never done the work or being new to the work. And that's being able to listen and engage with different audiences and be willing to hear their side of things is so important. Well, I'd go one step further. I think absolutely. I tell my team all the time, and we had a big conversation about it this summer. I have my work reviewed, and I want to set a culture and a norm where we all have our work reviewed. Um, it can be that can be scary, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I want to set the tone that I, I, everything I do, I ask somebody else to review um, on the strategic level, you sure. know. Um, but if I even even if I'm writing a communication to students, I invite multiple people mo- from multiple experiences and points of view from the institution to read that because I want to get their feedback for, I know what I'm trying to say. How did that come across to you? Yeah. And, um, and I think that that can be really scary because often what got you to a leadership position was being really good at what you do. You maybe even the best person in the room or in the group, you, you delivered success over and over again, which is, is likely how you were made an executive director, but the skills that got you there are not the skills that are going to keep you there. And that is a really tough transition for a lot of leaders. And so it's not just listening. I would say it's actively seeking to have your work reviewed, um, to seek feedback, 
Um, and to seek feedback, often if I write something, I'll hand it to somebody and I don't tell them what I'm trying to achieve. I, I want them to read it and react to it mm-hmm. um, so that I'm not just getting confirmation um, or seeking affirmation mm-hmm. for what I've already done. I can appreciate that. I think um, because if you tell them, hey, this is what I'm trying to get across. Do you see it? You know, oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, sure. OK. You know, they're going into it with the preconceived notion of. Right. This is what I'm getting. And so, yes, I got this. And I can see exactly where you're coming from. You know, I think we keep talking about the term belongingness. What does that really mean? Yeah. You know, belongingness is our desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it it is our, at the core, human connection. Um, it certainly is a feeling, but it's also an experience. And you cannot get to belonging without effort. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think often, I, I don't know, I grew up reading a lot of um, romance novels. I mm-hmm. mean, starting with the, you know, Sweet Valley High, you know, uh, uh, chapter books, you know, and inevitably the message in all those, those I mean, hundreds of books I must have read as a, as a young girl and, and teen, um, you know, was this message that, um, if somebody really loved you, they would just know what you wanted. Oh, yes. You know, and I, it's such an insidious and terrible, terrible message for relationships <laughs> of any kind. Um, I know. I still read romance novels, so I can't help myself. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and for pure enjoyment as an adult, yes, I think, it, it. you know, it shaped that point of view. It took me a long time to kind of undo this idea. Sure. And so, but it, it sometimes, you know, portrays this idea that you just show up into a space and you just immediately feel a part of it. And, right. and, and every now and then that happens and, and, you know, you got lucky, but the reality is, is that we feel belonging. We feel connection when we put some effort in, and that means that we show up. Yeah. Right. We volunteer, we make a phone call, we um, show up to the meeting, we, we put our name on a list, you know, those are the the actions that require um, our effort in order to then begin to facilitate uh you know, connection and belonging. Um, it can't be something that you phone in or you only do in a limited fashion. You know, we tell students, you know, you can't stay in your room and ultimately, you know, say, well, I don't feel very connected to campus. Right. Right. You have to get out of your room. You have to go to a meeting. You have to go to class. You have to meet with an advisor. You have to, you know, go to an evening event on campus. It's, it's your participation. Yeah, there has to be some accountability there on both sides. That That's right. You're giving and receiving. That's right. But ultimately, belonging is really b- being part of something that's bigger than yourself, and 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 it's a combination of feeling both um, accepted and at home for who you are, and comfortable enough that you're free to be who you are without blending in. Well, I think that's something that nonprofits have have the ability. And the need to create for people, I mean, in so many different groups, yes, in their staff level, yes, with their board members, yes, with their volunteers, and yes, with the clients that they serve, because we want them, we want people to feel like they can be a part of our mission space and the work that we do. Yes. You know, I I haven't quite finished. I've been reading a, a book. And I'm seeing the cover in my mind and I absolutely cannot remember the name of it. It's Priya Parker. Um, and it's about how you gather people. And mm-hmm. and what I've loved about this book is that, you know, she sort of starts by talking about that, um, 
you know, in modern, in modern society that we often spend a lot of time thinking about um, what we serve, the food we serve, what it looks like, you know, Pinterest worthy, you know, having all these different, you know, uh, elements um, and that that stuff actually gets in the way of the real work that we need to do when we bring people together, which is thinking deeply about how will you help them get connected? How will you facilitate the connection? How will you help the conversation? How will you facilitate introductions between people? Um, You know, and I think such a, such a beautiful reframing. And I I think about that myself, you know, if I'm, you know, sometimes how often it, these days, when my parents got together with people, somebody threw a bag of chips and some Jello. Mm. It wasn't about the food, yeah, right. Um, and now, many people will say, "Well, I can't have somebody over. My bathroom renovation isn't done, and you know, uh, there's a mess in the the living room, and so this doesn't look perfect." Or I don't have time to make, you know, charcuterie, you know, and, and so I can't do this, you know. And 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 I understand, you know, and and that. Nothing to take away from genuine hospitality and connection that way. But but I do think it's just like I was saying to Autumn earlier that I just dropped my daughter off at college. It was way easier to focus on what to buy for her oh, residence yeah. hall room than it was to deal with my feelings about oh, sending my firstborn off to college 10 hours away. The same is true when we organize groups mm-hmm. or we pull people together. It's easier to focus on what you might serve or... Um, you know, the decorations in the room, then it might be to really spend time thinking about how you create belonging and connection, what you can do to facilitate that within the space. Why is belongingness and connection so important though right now? Why is this such a, I'm hearing it not only from you all in the university space, I'm hearing it in our community. Um, I'm hearing it as, you know, post COVID hearing it in my children in school. Why is this so important now? I know even COVID aside. Yeah. Well, it is our deepest human need, Mm -hmm. right? To belong, to connect. Um, And, you know, I think as this, there was a time when, um, I don't want to look back with rose colored glasses necessarily, but I think there was a time when, when we, we naturally did things that made those connections easier. Mm -hmm. And so, now, so now those are gone and now we have greater impediments. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a double whammy in that way. So, you know, social media, our phones, our schedules, frankly, the way that we live in it, which is it less and less in communities or excuse me, less and less, you know, within in family structures, right? There are so many ways in which our lives are now designed, or I think about even in school, you know, the the stress of testing, you know, is taken away increasingly all those extra bits of time that, you know, were used to facilitate connection or free mm-hmm. play. And so we have real challenges that are growing every day and making that a harder and harder hurdle to get over. And all the while we see and are experiencing the direct results of the lack of connection and belonging in, in the mental health of our community um, in what's happening with violence, you know, in what's happening um, in terms of, of, I think about it just in terms of uh, the level of rudeness I experience just mm-hmm. out in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you might sit next to somebody on the plane who will listen or watch an entire TV show without earbuds. <laughs> 
I'm not, isn't that something we don't do? And so yeah, common, or, common hospitality or common decency, common decency yeah. or, or just the way I'll see people treat each other in a parking mm. lot or goodness gracious on the road, you know, and, 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 you know, all of that stems back to the more we think about ourselves as the main character mm-hmm. in the story, you know, and, 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 and not thinking about how we are connected and how what I do is impacts you and how what you do impacts me, the greater the obstacles are. Mm-hmm. So as nonprofits, and I, I've heard you use the term fueling connection, and I love that. How do you think nonprofits need to start fueling connections, especially as we start, as we are now struggling to help re-engage volunteers in our missions, we're struggling to overcome that isolationism that we've seen in through COVID, you know, what are some of the things that we could step into to really help people come into feeling belonging, feeling belongingness and feeling connected to our agencies? Yeah. I would really invite anybody to hit the pause button and really look at your operations. Are you stuck in doing what you were doing before Mm -hmm. and really stepping in to say, why, why do we do it this way? Um, is it just habit? Is it what we've seen other people do? So often we replicate what we think we've seen. Um, and those things aren't going to work anymore. Yeah. And so there, there really needs to be an entirely new way of thinking that can start with the hours that you might operate and, and the way you might bring people together. You know what, you've got to focus on relationships, um, which is time intensive, mm-hmm. um, but, but really important. Um, and then I think, our current environment really requires us to all be strong storytellers. You know, it's hard to get your message heard mm-hmm. and only getting harder. Yeah. So really spending time, investing resources, human and otherwise, and making making it really clear, what are, what are you about? Yeah. And can you deliver that message um, succinctly and clearly and repeatedly in ways that can help people connect with you. And then, you know, the last part of that is trust, Mm -hmm. you know, that you have to have the trust of all of those groups, right. Of your board, of, of, of your volunteers and of your, the folks that, that use your services, because that will impact very much your operation for us at the university. You know, the, 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 the greatest gift anybody can give us is to refer a student to us. Because if you refer somebody to us, you trust us, mm-hmm. you know, to, to say, you know, this is a place you're going to grow. This is a place you're going to be taken care of. This is a place that's going to help you achieve your goals and your dreams. There's no greater gift to the institution than a positive referral. Well, and I think the same would go for a nonprofit, any of our nonprofits in our community. If their clients speak highly of the services that they've provided received, if the volunteers can speak to feeling as if they're a part of the organization, I think that truly goes the furthest in anything else that we can do. That's right. Any last thoughts to share with our audience? I would say we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about how you listen, how you get more voices, um, and those are all important, but we all have blind spots and surround yourself with people who will help you identify yours and fill in those gaps and and know that it's not a a failure as a leader. It's just a human characteristic we all share. 
I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Becky. It's a joy to, to get to sit and visit with you. This is the first time we've gotten to sit and visit. I've gotten to listen to you speak a few times and I've just really enjoy your energy and, and your topic. And I just thank you so much. You bet. And I'm excited. I'll be back at the West Texas Women's Conference this year again, um, sharing some new work. So it'll be another great chance to connect with folks. I hope to see people there. There you go. Tune into the calendars for the Chamber of Commerce and that event coming up. And we'll also link to it in the show notes, as well as information that we've talked to you about, some books and things like that. So make sure you check out the show notes and be sure to subscribe to State of the Nonprofits wherever you listen to podcasts and tune in next time. Thanks so much.